Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is smiling across from me. Jorna, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon to our radio listeners. That's right. And uh, for those who don't know, Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. And, and a ray of sunshine. And a ray of sunshine on a beautiful <laughs> weekend, I believe. Day. No, come on. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. Back into the 60s and 70s. Robert Craig is also here. Robert Craig is the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, hello, everyone. So um, we have a number of things we want to talk about. Uh, a little bit of a mix of some federal and state-focused issues. We have to talk about Donald Trump and his threat to basically remove health care from millions of Americans. We will get into that. We also are going to talk about some of the implications of the failure of them to move health care or anything else, which leaves some of our uh, local congressmen ducking town halls. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul Ryan and his leadership. We're going to look ahead at the 2018 elections here. Uh, the, there was a statewide Democrat who announced this week for statewide office. We'll talk more about that. And we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the pushback showing against the Republican uh, proposals and just the Republican anti-science approach. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more later in the podcast. But we got to get started talking about health care. Uh, big shock here. We think it's a really, really important issue. But uh, we record Thursday morning, as I think most people know, and it broke early this morning or late last night, Donald Trump in an effort to try to jumpstart what has been an absolutely disastrous effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, announced that he was going to do exactly what Robert has been predicting, that there would be an effort to sabotage the Affordable Care Act, not actually seriously legis legislate. That's right, Jorna, you can just hear the Beastie Boys in the background. Uh, to not actually try and legislate, even though they control all levels of government, and just sort of threaten and what can only be described as an immoral sort of uh, plan, threaten the health care of millions of Americans with no uh, replacement plan, uh, as an effort to somehow try to get the Democrats to engage who have been basically not even involved in the process. Robert, explain why Trump actually thinks this is a good idea or good politically, maybe, because there's no good in this from a, po from a policy uh, perspective. What, what, what's going on here? Well, there seems to be some sort of desire from the Trump administration, which probably sound, makes it sound more organized than it is. It's a Twitter uh, handle, I believe. Yes, to, uh, to show they're making progress. And so now we're going to blame someone else, which Trump's an expert on. So blame the Democrats. And then we're going to threaten the health care of millions of people. Uh, it would cause about 130,000 people in Wisconsin to lose their health insurance. And, uh, of course, then to claim somehow that if the Democrats come in, is he going to actually negotiate with the Democrats, which would be if you were actually negotiating with them, starting with how we build on the Affordable Care Act? Or is it the Democrats are come and to capitulate to forcing 24 million people off their health care and re-legalizing pre-existing addition discrimination, among other things? And so... It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, this is a new volatile element in our politics that who knows what the president may tweet at any time. There are rumors that the Freedom Caucus chair, uh, Mark Meadows from North Carolina, who if you see him is quite the stuffed peacock, uh, he's quite full of himself and his new power is negotiating. So I guess there's still a threat of some compromise coming out of the House at some point, though others seem to doubt that, but at least we have to be prepared for that. But then it has to go to the Senate. Um, 
I just think that, look, uh, their bait and switch was exposed and it was clear they weren't offering lower deductibles, lower premiums, and more choice and control of one's health care, but a lot less. And Trump, in saying all this, has made it clear on Fox Business News that he needs to do health care so he can get the money for giant tax cuts for the wealthy, which, of course, we've known all along. So if they're going to take the money, they're certainly not going to cover people, as we've known. And whether he does it because he's now saying he was going to do taxes before health care. Now it has to be after because he needs the money. Um, either way, this is a pretty unpopular swap, I would say. Uh, particularly when you look, when you really, if you really tell the public about what Republican tax policy is really about, which is not helping average people in the least, just people who are already doing extremely well and well-connected corporations. Well, what I think is probably the most fascinating is that we are continuing to see the conservative news now attack our conservative friends. Um, there was, what, a Fox News article about how Paul Ryan really screwed this up and it was just a fire drill to go after health care. And, you know, Breitbart goes after the esteemed speaker. So I think it's it's pretty fascinating. And as you, you know, as you were mentioning, the Freedom Caucus uh Robert, they um, the the president is once again tweeting at members of his own party and threatening primary challenges against members of his own party. Like, what? Uh, no, I'm glad you mentioned this, Jordan. I I I think this demonstrates almost a complete implosion uh, when you have what Trump is coming out with. Because uh, Robert, I just there, there's no way that the Democrats are going to capitulate to this. They have no reason to, absolutely none. The public doesn't believe the Democrats are uh, to blame for this, so there's no traction there. In fact, I believe quite independent of the moral question look, of why anyone want to do this, right? Well, well the, <laughs> the Republicans tried that initially in the debate to try to somehow suggest that the Democrats, if they didn't help them out, were somehow going to be responsible. It got no traction. This. This looks immoral. It looks like a, a horrendous decision. You already have Republicans immediately trying to distance themselves from this because it's a crazed plan. They didn't even try to do it. They had the decency just to like skip town, right? You know, to, <laughs> to leave town and not like somehow <laughs> pretend, right. you know. It, th- this to me is a, sh- is, well, is a shocking sort of like as gong usual, of failure. They started this train. So. We actually predicted this mechanism right after uh, the the first vote failure here. And the mechanism is that uh, Speaker Ryan had filed a lawsuit against the Obama administration claiming that the the subsidies to help people afford deductibles and co-pays were below 200% of the federal poverty line somehow hadn't been appropriated. And so they, they'd filed this lawsuit. And the mechanism here is, is that the Trump administration could cease defending it. And then, of course, these folks would lose uh, their health insurance. And we have uh, the hospitals, the insurance industry, all of them sending letters to the Trump administration saying this would be a disaster and it would destabilize the health insurance market and not just harm the people they want to harm, but harm anyone who's buying insurance on their own on the ACA marketplace because there might not be any ACA marketplace. That's what the industry is saying. So this really is kind of like an act of, and I know this sounds like hyperbole, but if you think about the number of deaths involved, which is actually much higher, it's an act of political terrorism. And what I mean by that is he's attempting to terror, I mean, literally holding, as Charles Chuck Schumer said, the Senate majority uh, majority leader, he's trying to hold people hostage, people, the health of people and their health coverage hostage to get his political way. Well, I, there, I think it's fascinating when 
the actual Freedom Caucus is calling the president a bully. Well, I mean, he, as you said, he's sending texts suggesting he's going to primary them. Unfortunately for... Or suggesting is a nice way to say well, yeah. saying. Okay, he's, saying, well, <laughs> he's tweeting. I'm going to suggest that he's only suggesting because he might want to look at how he performed in a lot of these areas. These are areas where, like, these Freedom Caucusers outperform Trump because they're nutsoid sort of based. Whoa, it's freedom. <laughs> I'm sorry. Freedom. freedom. They're areas where freedom is uh, greatly loved and cherished. Uh, no, look, this is an incredibly, um, I don't know, I, I, I think this was a huge mistake on, on Trump's part because he basically laid his cards out early in a way where, Robert, you described like how the process would actually go. Now he's done it in a way where like you can't actually just sort of let that process sort of play out. He's sort of declared what he's going to do, which makes him sound like an awful, awful human being that he would push people off of their health care or, or destabilize a system that, again, I brought this up on almost every podcast. They are in total control of this government, right? It is It is completely on them. And the notion that they can blame anybody else Democrats. or that they would do this when they're in total control, it goes from just being really bad politics to being immoral. Well, to be right? clear, there's no organized strategy here, right? Uh, because the Department of Health and Human Services, his cabinet department said two days earlier that they would not cut off the payments. And then all of a sudden Trump is treating that they will unless the Democrats do what he wants. Yeah, because Democrats, this is the Democrats' fault. Can you all just get on message with it being the Democrats that are at fault <laughs> and holding up health care, real health care reform in the House and Senate? So, look, it, folks... You, you got to understand that they left, right? I mentioned they all they all skipped out of <laughs> they town. They were like, peace. They're on recess. Well, hold all those town halls. <laughs> oh, well, wait. Oh, maybe not. Oh, well, we're going to get into whoa, that. Roberts. We're going to get into that. But it is very important that you continue to contact your members of Congress. We will have the contact information right on the website. It's not very hard. Go online. Reach out to them. Get in touch with them. They need to hear, first of all, right, that they should start improving the Affordable Care Act. But this whole idea of Trump is is wrong, and, and no one should be supporting this. Um, we are going to have to get out of here. When we get back, we are going to talk a little bit more about the fact that we have this recess, and we have... I mean, this is just healthcare we're talking about. There's a number of other major issues going on, right? International issues. And the notion that we have our Congress people, uh, particularly uh, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and our Senator uh, Ron Johnson, essentially not holding town halls is appalling. And we'll talk about that when we get back. So welcome back. So obviously, there is good reason if you have accomplished virtually nothing of, of uh, major significance that you promised, that if you are on April recess, that you would not want to go visit and see your public. Uh, that would explain why Senator Ron Johnson and our congressman, our Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, have basically been ducking town halls in the middle of this crisis. Jordan, I what? assume this is you, you are no, a big attender of these events. Matt, I think you're being a little harsh. They've been working very hard 
to destroy <laughs> the fabric of America, and they deserve a little rest and relaxation. You know, what was the when you ask a football player after they've won the Super Bowl, "Where are you going?" I'm going to Disney World. Isn't that where the speaker was found or was headed? So, Jordan, we always he won a lot, we, right? All he does is win. <laughs> we always appreciate your. <laughs> Your lighthearted approach Sorry. to Mr. Ryan. Sorry. But it is very, obviously, given what we just talked about. It's upsetting. Right, we have a very serious situation going on where, where we have a president threatening the health of people. And, and we have a speaker who basically bungled the the first effort here. The, the first two efforts, let's remind ourselves, of repeal and replace. Not even going out in public and talking about this or speaking to the public. And by the way, it's at the same time when there are other members of Congress who are actually holding these these hearings and, and getting quite yelled at. Getting laced to, to say What it. is it, Joe Wilson, <laughs> the uh, you lie guy? So, um, who's yeah. getting yelled at? So to their credit, Congressman Sensenbrenner has been holding hearings both at the previous recess yeah. and I assume he's holding more. And uh, the, just this past week, our, our good friend from the 6th, uh, the wild, wild-eyed Glenn oh, Grothman, uh, to his credit, his yeah, he held he held the town hall, and it was <laughs> packed, and it was just question after question about the Affordable Care Act, and uh, you know you got to hand it to this guy. He basically got up there, kept saying, "We're going to repeal this." He backs down nothing, never ever. But, but let's just say that he he found out, and this is an, an one of the most Republican congressional districts you could think of creating, um, which they did and in <laughs> their gerrymandering. God uh, bless redistricting. And and yet this guy basically got laced on not just healthcare, a number of issues, but healthcare was certainly the leading issue, uh, and and not surprising, right? I mean, given what we just talked about, it's nice to see democracy. Working to some degree, it, not the Repub- not the smaller Republican part of governing occurring in Congress or responding to democracy, but the fact that they can't escape this, and they have to, you know, they profited greatly from being agitating their base in 2010, even though it wasn't a majority, right? In this case, the public opinion is is way is much more against their position since their bill has 17 percent support. Uh, but when you literally are going to do something this bad. And when your ideology says that these are all entitlements and we shouldn't do these things, in in an age in the 21st century with a decline in family-supporting jobs and a lot of economic insecurity and transition for every worker, basically, to say that you have to buy insurance on your own when our healthcare system is so expensive and insurance is so expensive that upper-middle-class people can't afford it on their own. And so it is stunning. I mean, Governor Walker's waiver... Uh, which is going to drug test, try to drug test and have work requirements, right, uh, for people on Badger Care, also limits how long you can be on Badger Care because these folks actually believe that it's immoral that you did something wrong if you need Badger Care for your health care, where an increasing number of Americans realize that if our democracy doesn't guarantee everyone health care, you're not going to have it. And if you don't have that, you don't really have access to the American dream in the 21st century. You are uh, one accident, one injury, one illness away within your family of uh, not only losing your livelihood because it'll be financially bankrupt you, but not getting life-saving treatment uh, for for a deadly disease. Yeah. Well, look, I want to give a shout out also to the activists up in the Eau Claire area. Senator Ron Johnson wasn't just gone this week. He actually did have a meeting. He met at a country club 
very nice place, I'm sure, uh, in Eau Claire, in the Eau Claire area with business interests and over 30 demonstrators uh, showed up. And I know a number of them were from the local Indivisible group and from the Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative. And a shout out to people moving in real time when you see an event like that and drawing attention. Uh, it's getting national news, actually, and, and as well it should, because it is so cowardly that these folks would be just avoiding the public while uh, we're in this time of crisis on both international, but also as we've talked about health care. I think this is beginning to make the case more eloquently than we can in many ways that modern conservative ideology is completely ill-equipped to deal with the problems uh, that actual people have in the 21st century. Well, speaking of Senator Johnson and his country club private luncheon appearance at that particular luncheon, he said that he's been having telephone town halls and Facebook live town halls. Now, Ooh, Facebook live. while I appreciate that the good senator is trying a new media form he's of communication. He's tech savvy, huh? He's super tech savvy. I've met him. He's super tech savvy. He's great hologram business cards. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. While I appreciate that he is, you know, trying to reach the youngins on the face space, uh, that's not a replacement for in-person meetings. And he's a United States senator. What is he so afraid of? Oh, that's right. Criticism. Because, you know, being a legislator legislator is hard. Having to answer his own constituents, which is, I, I would say, part of the job. Really? Reading legislation, too, which doesn't seem to be his strong suit, is also part of the job. There, there are people for that. Uh, by the way, don't just take our word that these folks have really not accomplished much. It is worth pointing out, and you know, we don't often have great things to say about uh, Representative Gallagher, but Gallagher at least had the decency yeah. to point out this week that he's really frustrated about the first 100 days in office, right? Uh, that he feels like they've really not accomplished anything of substance, does not understand <laughs> does not understand why they were allowed to leave Congress, why why they were allowed to leave DC. In fact, he basically he flat out said, "They shouldn't let us leave the house floor until we get some big things done," right? Now, we may not agree with well. Representative Gallagher about how and what these big things ought to be getting done, but at least has the clarity to understand they left without getting really anything. I have the big no idea. I don't do. personally know Representative Gallagher, but let's, let, me let me just say that whether he believes this or not, this is very smart politics, and he's smart enough to get off a Titanic ship here, which is the, uh, the Ryan and Trump boat. I'm just waiting for the Trump tweets at Gallagher. <laughs> So I do want to point out that um, we are going to be holding a town hall uh, in Wauwatosa next Wednesday around this healthcare crisis, right? Uh, given what Trump is proposing, it's, uh, we think it's important to continue to keep the pressure on. Um, we are hoping, I believe there's going to be an effort to try to get uh, uh, Ron Johnson and Paul Ryan there, but let's be honest, it's not, it's not happening, but that doesn't mean we cannot keep the pressure up. We hope the media will come and cover this. It's going to be at the Wauwatosa Public Library, which is on 76th and North Avenue on the uh, 19th uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. So please, if you really uh, care deeply about this uh, health care situation, uh, we really hope you can show up at the Wauwatosa Public Library again from 6 to 8 on April 19th. I believe that's next Wednesday. So um, with that, we have to talk a little bit more about Paul Ryan, um, Jorna. We and, do. Yeah. So Paul Ryan, while we've talked about a lot of the failures of his leadership, there is one thing that he's pretty good at that we've discovered 
shaken down the wealthy special interests? I mean, Paul Ryan appears to just have a money tree that follows him around. He is showing a record fundraising uh, quarter for himself, now having 9.4 mil on hand. Uh, what? What? That's, that's your, a lot of cash. Your guy on the motorcycle is going to oh, have a rough Paul time Nalen. taking him on when he's got Man, $9 million. The truth resurrection is, gonna, is in for some hurt, well, but... You know, when you write a health care plan that gives millions of dollars back to wealthy people, it's not a surprise like that, that you're about <laughs> to write and you're about to rewrite the tax code allegedly. Oh, hey, what a but good I'm sure huh, that has the, nothing to do with it. The Robert. people who are giving to him because we have to go through the niceties of, of, of modern politics and what we say about campaign finance not being bribery. It certainly isn't bribery, right? Uh, and so therefore these are people who happen to agree with him on the tax code. Philosophically, who want to participate in their democracy has nothing to do with buying any influence, right? Because an esteemed statesman like Paul Ryan couldn't be bought. Do you think that he just flies around on private planes singing lawyers' guns and money to himself? So it is worth pointing out that Paul Ryan is, uh, while he's raised $22 million for House Republicans, sounds like he's getting ready to spend some of it. There's going to be a race in Georgia where Georgia, where it's a seat that Democrats haven't held actually since the seventies, suburban Georgia seat. Since where, the realignment, basically. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But there's a thirty-year-old Democrat running, and let's see. I'm not. We're not predicting that uh, this will be some great uh, victory per se, but this would be incredibly embarrassing if they were to lose this first seat. But uh, we'll see. I'm glad to see it's a 30-year-old, that it's uh, possibly a bright new face in the Democratic Party. Who could, If they were to win in suburban Georgia, that would be excellent. But anyways, we'll see. We'll see if Paul Ryan's agenda is uh, causing vulnerability and, and in places like Georgia. electorate, so these are very winnable in the anti-science, know-nothing era of Republican rule. Before we get away, though, I do want to point out, Jorna, one more thing about our good friend Paul Ryan. You know, I think we've talked in the past, we might have mentioned about Paul Ryan, you know, this policy genius who understands tax policy, and he had that horrendous Ryan blueprint tax policy that the Republicans ran on. Well, apparently it's falling out of favor and not likely when they, if they ever do get around to tax policy, be the blueprint by which uh, the Republicans uh, move forward with. So it's been, Paul Ryan, I don't know, the shine oh, seems man, to be off our, our, our boy. It's a rough month. It is a rough month. Well, we will get back at you, but we got to get out of here for a little bit. Welcome back. Well, before we move to state politics here, um, we got to talk about uh, Shouty Spice, uh, Jorna. Please tell us. Uh, I know he's your best friend. Sean Spicer's amazing. It is. He he's gives. Like a he gift. giveth. He he's a gift that keeps on giving, and in a week that gave a lot of gifts to um, the Twitters and the Facebooks and the memes. Uh, I don't know. Shouty Spice uh, said that. Made a, made a Hitler reference, which, you know, you're always winning when you make a Hitler reference yeah, at it, a press Unbelievable. Conference. Unbelievably obtuse comment. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm sure that everybody has seen that you know, mm -hmm. he, in reference to Syrian President Assad, Shouty Spice said that not even Hitler gassed his own people. Like, wh wh what? Uh, I'm a little confused. But this came at the tail end of 
um, some some pretty big PR gaffes. And Shouty Spice was like the icing on the cake. If people saw the you know unite the Pepsi stuff first, right? Pepsi had their ad, and it was god awful. And Pepsi was like, "How are we going to get out of this?" And then United dragged a guy off a plane. They were like. Hold my beer. We got this for you, Pepsi. <laughs> and then Shouty Spice was like, wait, pick me, Hitler and Holocaust. Oh, <laughs> uh, so how is he still in this position? I mean, really. It distracts it's, us. It's right. Thursday morning, and he is still in this position. This tells you that Trump does enjoy trolling at some level, that he is really a modern social media president. Well, I think it's 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 Trump media theory. It takes attention away from right. Trump exactly. uh, to some degree, right? Uh, I heard I've heard they've been dragging on cable news some of the former press secretaries and like the ones for Bush like Ari Fleischer like well you really should stay away from the Holocaust and, and, you know like other kind of helpful advice yeah, think. for for spicy Look, <laughs> uh, the, obviously it's disturbing right that you'd have somebody who would even make this comment and not and, and then it took him a while like when he tried to wa- walk it back immediately like you wouldn't immediately just go whoa okay, that was wrong. It was wrong, and I apologize right away. But he tried to sort of, like, defend it and contextualize it, and and it reminded me a little bit, um, Jorna, you you had mentioned that, you know, we don't do this. I I do remember it, you know, the last war, that we're always looking to try to, you know, Saddam Hussein, they were always trying to figure out how they could compare him to Hitler, right? Like, there's this really nasty thing we have where we're trying to justify every aggression that we take to Hitler, which is completely misplaced, and it's been done before, but, like, way overplayed here, but it is important to point out, right, like, this speaks to this really kind of insidious desire culture we have where we're always trying to justify our actions when sometimes we should just say, oh, that was a mistake. We should not have done that. It's apparently one thing we can all agree on. So that's the temptation, <sighs> right? So apparently we can't fully agree about Jim Crow because that would be offensive to the South. But we can all agree Hitler was bad. And therefore, the rhetorical tactic, brilliant, is compare whatever it is I hate to Hitler, yeah. right? It's sort of a, it, it, it's paint by numbers, mm-hmm. uh, but does not work super well. And but look, and I don't know if Jorna agrees with this or not, but they're rewriting the rules of communication. And Trump has now this week reversed himself on a series of his campaign pledges. So he's no longer going to call China a currency manipulator, which he said over and over and over again, right? Just for example, that's the latest. There are a series of articles about all of the reversals, uh, except for healthcare, apparently, but everything else has been a reversal so far. But the question is, even though he's unpopular right now, I'm not sure the traditional rules of communication apply anymore. And obviously what we haven't mentioned is, is that he, he discovered rally around the flag by lobbing Tomahawk missiles onto Syria. And I believe that's going to be like catnip for him where he's going to exercise military muscle more because the Democrats fell for it and all praised it as some sort of sage policy. Well, not all, but most. We are we are at least what twenty or thirty minutes into our show, and this is the first time that we're mentioning Syria, right? Yeah, this yeah. is all of what he does. If there is anything that this administration is absolutely brilliant at, it's distracting us from the real issues. Tweeting about primarying his own party, and you know, ripping subsidies away from health care, and having a press secretary who is a buffoon. Brilliantly asking his press secretary to make a Holocaust right. Honestly, they are so good at this. It is fascinating. Well, 
we are going to have to <laughs> take a step away from what is a surreal federal uh, international situation with uh, President Trump at the helm to our state politics, which we have a longer history of uh, dealing with strangeness and weirdness. And uh, <laughs> and so we we have talked a bit Surreal. on this podcast about how do we look forward, looking forward towards what kind of Democratic Party we'd like to see, what kind of politic we'd like to see in order to be able to have a vision that could could actually have the right to govern again. And so there's a we want to talk a little bit about the 2018 elections. We had the first sort of what we would say is a statewide Democratic candidate uh, uh, for the Attorney General office announced this week, and that is uh, Josh Call. He is the son of uh, former Attorney General Peg Lautenschlager, uh, and an incredibly, very accomplished individual already at the age of 37, which I had to mention the age, because I think it's worth pointing out that he's younger and we have not had um, what you might describe as a fairly high-profile, um, well-established at 37, kind of exciting progressive Democrat announced. So this is kind of big news, and, given that just a few weeks ago we were like, no governor, no nobody. This is at least where the ball is rolling. And just in, in the interest of disclosure, also uh, on a big case, one of Citizen Action's lawyers, he is working on the case that uh, struck down Walker's uh, limitations on, on uh, early voting. And which is now up up at the next level in, in, in federal court, and so we work with jo- with with Josh and his other colleagues at his law firm on that case, which is worth pointing out. Yeah. Like this is a guy who's already taken on Schimmel and Juan. So I'm excited about this. Uh, if anybody knows the David Gruber David Gruber one call, that's all. I think everybody knows Josh about Call. That. Jo- that's all. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. I'm all right. super excited about it because, as Robert just mentioned, we. He's really, really great on election administration and voter protection, and he's been involved in both, you know, the nonpartisan and partisan voter protection programs that I've worked on, and you know, the reason that I stay involved in politics is that kind of stuff. And so, to have somebody who isn't going to be focused on, you know, the sort of keeping people out of democracy, and yeah. I mean, he'll be a much more like Jim Doyle, whether you liked him or not, Jim Doyle was a great attorney general, and he will be much more in that wing of fighting against photo ID and making sure that democracy is open. Maybe there'll be some publishers clearinghouse we, stuff. We, probably a little know. better on criminal justice well, issues well, than look, Doyle, sure. but I agree with you. Doyle was a, in my Doyle opinion, was, was on... a talented AG in a lot of areas, and was yeah. and no one ever doubted his legal intelligence and his ability to run the office and look, things like that. Do you think that Josh Call have his own coin? So, mm, so, no, you're you're referring I, to you the You beat me to the coin. You beat me to the coin. No, look, uh, what I think is really interesting about this, too, is these races, like Supreme Court races, often end up focusing on, you know, sex offenders, criminal justice, a very narrow part of the law and what we actually need our attorney and general to focus on. Well, I appreciate the fact that we have someone running who I believe will open up uh, a, a whole broader, a whole broader and additional flank of understanding what an attorney general does and things that and rights that are really important that are under attack, right? And and I hope also takes a slightly different tack on how we approach uh, criminal justice reform, which I think is really important for uh, progressives uh, if we're going to actually govern again to actually have an agenda on that. So I think it's positive he'll run on a different profile, but I will, as I do every cycle, again make my prediction that in this race, it is only a matter of figuring out how the dark money groups 
and probably at least the Republican candidate themselves, uh, find a way to claim that their opponents uh, somehow are aiding child molesters, because that happens every which election, which shows how ridiculously illegitimate our dark money and big money polit- political uh, campaigns are, because they literally... Uh, lie to the people about what the, the office does, right? And then come up with some sort of ridiculous thing, like you, like you followed a law at one point, and th- that involved a, a criminal offender that it, that is odious, and then all of a sudden they're just going to run these stupid thirty-second ads. So it it just degrades our whole democracy. But there seems to be no limit anymore. There's no. There used to be some sort of sense Supreme Court races, attorney general's races, that there was some probity, some kind of limits you shouldn't pass on and the way you campaign and what you put on TV, and that's all gone. It's just like well, crude I, and outrageous. You know, I, I really hope that Josh does his campaign differently in terms of really, well, opening, try, up, yeah. really opening up these, these, um, these areas that aren't talked about, because I'm convinced that's how you're going to really grab people to get excited about this race. And there's an opening. Wise to him to get in early before all the oxygen is sucked up on the bigger ticket races and hopefully get out there and start to build the kind of uh, network we're going to need to get a, a progressive elected statewide again. So, uh, But shout out to him for at least getting out there. And and of course, it goes without saying, right, he has he comes from uh, with his with his mother uh, a family and uh, a network that understands what it might take to win an election and also Peg Lautenschlager has still does have a tremendous reputation with progressives and uh, the Democratic base uh, statewide which is important and and I do think that that is helpful so if we're talking about connecting some of the past and the legacy of uh, to 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 what should be the new Democratic uh, base and she's still active so I think she will be a, ca- a campaign asset in the progressive base in fact the way I found out before I heard from Josh that he was running uh, was that she grabbed me by the cufflink at a big event and drag me to the corner to inform me that her son was running. So uh, that's how, so I, I assume she will apply her energies to lots of other progressives and Democrats across the state on behalf of Josh. So we got to get out of here, but we will talk more, uh, continuing to try to talk more about the 2018 elections as we go forward. And of course, uh, we still have to track the major redistricting lawsuit and what our districts are going to look like. They have to come out by November, and there's a lot more that will break on that. We will continue to talk more about that in the future. Welcome back. So last week we we did not get a chance to talk about the the Twitter spat, Jorna. I figured I'd go straight to you on this because this is your area of expertise. Uh, but uh, Scott Walker and Robin Voss seem to not be getting along very well over the state budget. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is going on, Jorna? They were uh, apparently uh, tweeting at each other and um, being passive aggressive, <laughs> taking some plays out of the president's book Let's of say. social media, and then there was some there was some texting, some testy texting going on between uh, Voss and Walker. Um, so my favorite interaction is after seeing one of Walker's tweets, Voss texted the governor and said, quote, FYI, the more your staff keeps injecting themselves into the joint finance committee process, the more difficult you will make it. Lobbying by Twitter isn't going to work here. Boom. But it seems to be working for the president. So why wouldn't it work for Walker? Fascinating. Well, look, 
it's very interesting that this is this is really playing out over education funding is a mm-hmm. huge issue here. It's very clear that Walker has really kind of squeezed them good because he came out with something that had a lot more money in it than Voss wants to put towards it. And then, of course, the transportation fault line, which has uh, been playing out for months here. But it's pretty unusual that you would see this kind of disagreement go back and forth. And a lot of it is seems as though uh, Voss is very upset that they weren't cut in early in the planning of the budget, like apparently they had been in the previous budget cycles, and that Walker really just kind of went alone, which, by the way, just this is something that happens after you've had sort of a governor in charge for a long time and um, total control and leadership where they feel their oats, right? They're kind of tired mm-hmm. of having to basically do Walker's bidding, and they probably feel like they've been doing that for years, and then they get this crack at the budget, and he basically even shoves them out even further. So I think you're really seeing this is... Um, uh, shall we say the fray, fraying of um, long established leadership and trying to keep keep the whole thing together? Yeah, no, this is what happens with one party rule. Uh, also, quite frankly, Governor Walker is has introduced a reelection budget, as we've talked about. Yep. And so it it tries to soften his image at, by putting some of the money back in some areas. So he is aware that education is very popular. So he is going to try to create a smokescreen for his reelect. And Voss is not on board for that, and the, and the kind of very far-right caucus is not necessarily on board for that. But then they're put in a position of what do you do, and what do you do on transportation when Governor Walker is taking the fundamentalist conservative stand that he'll never raise taxes, but he wants to spend a lot on transportation, right? Uh, and so whereas they're actually being, trying to govern a little bit more, Voss is, and try to find f- funding mechanisms. I don't really agree with his transportation priorities, but I'm just saying that at least, they're ta- at least they keep trying to talk, the Assembly Republicans anyway, but actually funding what they want to do, which is at least consistent uh, with their alleged fiscal prudence that they, that they like to campaign on and claim for their ideology and their party. Well, look, I mean— if you've watched any of the joint finance hearings so far, it's not hard to understand why, if you're Voss, you're getting really upset. Because it's a parade of people talking about public education and the lack of funding. And, and it's not just, although big shout out to you know uh, the public, uh, what do you call it, Wisconsin uh, Public Education Network. Network, who's done an amazing job turning out people, uh, educators and activists. But it's just rank and file administrators, staffers from districts showing up. It's Plead- friends of mine who are teachers who just- aren't connected to you know the kind of internal politics that we all work in yeah and 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 so and they're all over walker's budget right in terms of being saying that we need this money desperately i mean as much as saying we need more right we've been starved so if you're voss you got to just be steaming as as you see this and you just know as you said robert this is a complete election budget re-election budget that is going to be very popular and puts the Republicans on the defensive uh, in, in, in the legislature. Well, we're now in a different situation than 2011 when uh, it wasn't clear what the cuts meant. Now people have, in districts have experienced them. They've been cutting programs, and education is highly popular. And again, like healthcare calls the question on conservative orthodoxy because they want to be pro-education without paying for it. Notice they never say that with tax cuts for the wealthy or spending on the military, but apparently education could be better while spending less. And so they're in a box 
And Walker actually is aware of that, and that's why he's broken partly out of the box, at least temporarily, uh, for the purposes of his all-important reelect, which is, of course, much more important than the good of the schools or the good of the state, as we all know. So, folks, let's keep the pressure on. Uh, Joint Finance Committee public hearings start back up this week. And uh, so keep 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 the pressure on. This is clearly causing fissures on the other side, which is opportunity. So next Tuesday, uh, we'll be in Spooner, the Joint Finance Committee. So please attend that. Wednesday, the Joint Finance Committee will be in Ellsworth at Ellsworth High School, and we'll have links to all of this on our page. And Friday, they'll be in Marinette, Wisconsin. So right on the pl- UP border there. That's right. The so twin pl- cities of Marinette and Menominee, Michigan. So please get out and testify if you can't and you'd like to submit written or video testimony, we will submit that on your behalf. You can send that to me at matt.brusky at citizenactionwi.org. And I want to thank a couple of our members who have already done that and will continue. And we'll have a number of members at uh, these hearings uh, next week. So before we get out, we do want to talk about a couple of things that are happening that continue to show the unpopularity of one, uh, the Republicans' effort I would describe against science. We've talked about the DNR, a whole bunch of other things. The alternative facts. The alternative facts. And this is, you know, up and down, you know, whether you're talking about their federal candidates, state or local, but just sort of this opposition to science. We want to give a shout out to the uh, march or rally that's going to be occurring. It's actually a celebration of science. It's not a protest or anything like that. But uh, a lot of scientists are getting together on Earth Day, April 22nd, uh, to march in support of science. We think this is a great idea and want to make sure folks know we'll have links and details to that event uh, so that you can attend and show your support for the idea that we would have science, which is really, I mean, as the uh, uh, sponsors of this event say, the core of the Wisconsin idea, which is, as we know, been under attack. And who would have known 50 or 100 years ago even that in the early 21st century we'd be needing to have mass uh, rallies to support and promote science? And so what's happened is, and this is really important to understand, is, is that there are very large vested interests that have profited by attacking science, which started with tobacco industry and, and smoking denial, and now is in, car, uh, quite frankly, the global warming denial movement. But there's a reason that there, there, isn't just, there isn't this natural cultural trend where people become skeptical of science. No, there are huge vested interests corrupting the system that have attempted in every which way with huge public relations to undermine science. Yep, and that's what makes the fight over the DNR magazine very important. It's very symbolic. Uh, Governor Walker was out defending the cut of the DNR magazine again this week. Let him do it. It's not, it's not working. Uh, one other thing I wanted to point out this week that shows, right, like regular people are seeing through the bullshit and uh, actually understand this issue. Uh, the Conservation Congress met this week in Monday. They have April hearings, I believe every year, it might be every other year around the state. And these are extraordinarily well attended. These are your sportsmen, hook and bullet, fisher types, um, not what you would describe as sort of like liberal uh, activists or environmentalists. Birkenstock wearing ponytail <laughs> environmentalists. Yes. These, these <laughs> no are no man ponies. Nah, these are folks who write. 
you know, would fit in with what you would imagine your traditional uh, sportsman would look like. And they had uh, uh, basically like a poll or around some of the key pieces of legislation uh, that impact uh, conservationists. And in particular, it was overwhelming uh, the opposition to some of the key Republican proposals that are going on right now. And I wanted to mention those in particular, particularly uh, a lot of opposition around uh, the, the sand mining. And, and so very um, virtually no support. And we're talking about 4,000 people who participated in this. In addition, a lot of opposition to these large CAFOs, these large factory farms, very little support for uh, uh, moving forward with allowing permits and also high capacity wells, uh, you know, another big issue. So it is worth pointing out that a lot of folks who might traditionally uh, vote Republican or be more within their constituency are not happy with a lot of the policies as they impact our uh, our. our our natural uh, life here in Wisconsin. And it comes back to an old kind of 19th century extraction mentality, right? Just use up the resources, despoil the land. Remember, they cut all the timber, so we had a bur- we had literally a cutover area of this state uh, versus the conservation ethic that really grew up partly in Wisconsin with John Muir, Aldo Leopold, and then Gaylord Nelson and Earth Day, and that that is broad-based, and there are a lot of people who love this land and enjoy this land and want to protect it and, wa- and, and want to want to have a balance between that and any kind of big commercial interest, whereas the Walker administration, let's make clear, only cares about commercial interests that can fund its campaigns, though I'm sure it's not bribery, right? It's not really bribery. It's something else. It's democracy. Yes. So we will continue here at the Battleground, Wisconsin, to keep an eye on all things happening in our state. But again, folks, get out. Please attend these public hearings. Make your voices heard. The budget matters. Uh, we need to tell them we need things that will help our communities thrive and and uh, not the interest of the wealthy and well-connected. So with that, so Jorna, Matt, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, my God. Doors? Doors? <laughs> oh, I'm not knocking on doors, am You're I? not? No, not yet. No. Well, oh, you no. can okay. if you'd like. I have a few Good. cut. Some you know. friends. Yeah. Um, so well, starting tonight, I am getting ready for like a 10-day music bender. Uh-oh, you must be going to Coachella. Well, I'm not going this weekend, but I'm no. starting tonight off, uh, Thursday night, at the Cactus Club with Gold. Oh, Gold. Local Milwaukee band, I think you Gold. Dr- Wait, I think I saw them once. They were at uh, Turner Hall, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think I'm going to do the Wonder Uncovered, uh, Stevie Wonder covers at Turner Hall on Friday night. And then the Wooldridge Brothers are on Saturday, I assume. uh, Somewhere we'll, you know, listen to some Wooldridge Brothers. And then uh, I'm going to spend my time packing for Coachella because I leave on the uh, 20th. I heard the Wooldridge Brothers are at Coachella this year. They got a new album out. It's really it's really good, actually. It's called Best of Flower Crowns. I think some (laughs) of the music actually now is on our podcast, if I'm correct. Uh, I'm looking to our producer. Yes. Okay, it is. All right. So we're happy to debut uh, the new Wildridge Brothers music. Robert, Robert, what are you you doing? What are you going to do this weekend? Are you packing for Coachella? He's, yes, definitely. (laughs) Gold tonight. Certainly not. Cactus Um, Club is right by your house. I know it is. literally across the street. I know. Um, Well, (laughs) I'm uh, actually be at at our uh, organizer, Luz Sosa's. Actually, on Cio de Donna. Come on, grab Paul Sickle and Terry and head on down. Uh, I don't know if they're coming. I'll see you in the mosh pit, Robert. (laughs) So, right. 
and then though you know the alderman wanted to expand the, the cactus club remember oh, yeah. or want to oppose expansion remember uh, we're off Zalinski. the rails <laughs> so then um the only thing i have planned so this won't be very good for matt is is that i'm speaking at the big milwaukee tax day event on saturday morning at 11 a.m would the you like Wanda trump county courthouse. you want trump to show his taxes uh well, I think we'd all like to see it's right around the corner. I the believe. brilliant mechanisms Mr. Trump yes. used not to pay his taxes. <laughs> Apparently, that is cutting against Trump's uh, tax reform, the popularity of his tax reforms. That if he doesn't actually pay them, that apparently is working very well at town halls. Uh, but I will have to figure out. It is baseball season again, so perhaps I'll get to at least watch part of a game on television. I have to do my taxes at some point, so that's, yeah. I'm not finished. At some point, uh, Robert, I believe you have, aren't they doing the 15th? No, they're no, doing that's because it's Saturday, that's right. Yeah, there, and there's another, there's some federal holiday I haven't heard of on Monday, so uh, I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday even. There. You better get going on those taxes. So. I'm, par- I'm mostly done. All right, well, this weekend, I am looking forward to a little baseball if it will dry out. Uh, my son's uh, Rufus King team is uh, well in action, and uh, he actually got to pitch last week. It was uh, exciting. Got his first hit of the season. So, and what were the stat? What was the stat line? They got beat pretty bad. No, no. <laughs> how, how many Ings pitched, earned runs, strikeouts? Hey, we don't keep stats. Okay, stats. Come on, you know. And how fast? Really is, tell. How fast is Gabe's fastball? Gabe's fastball is about ninety-five miles an hour. No, I'm kidding. I don't. I don't believe they would put a radar gun on Gabe's fastball. We're just happy if it. Goes across the plate and doesn't move, move, doesn't hit anybody. A lot of right? movement, though. Uh, lots of movement uh, in the direction usually of the ground. Um, <laughs> we hope the best though uh, this week. So it's it's actually a ton of fun watching those games. Um, also, uh, a good friend of ours is turning forty, and so we're gonna uh, ha- do a party. I think at Fuel Cafe, the new Fuel on Fifth Street, which is definitely. Uh, worth catching out. And I'll also be at Plymouth uh, Saturday afternoon, the dirt track. Uh, we got a test and tune for two hours, so I'll be out there with the boys, both Gabe and Ezra, riding some bikes. But with that, we want to, again, thank Brian Woodridge, who makes this podcast happen every week, and we'll see you next week with the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast. Bye.